How many people can I get around the auditorium that will keep me covered in prayer as this message goes forward? Just uh, up strong up front, need some in the back. Come on, there's demons that lurk back there. We've got to rot them out. All right, so over in that corner, a few more. Okay, just keep me covered in prayer. I'm Greg, a senior pastor here if you're visiting. I'd like to welcome all of you. Happy New Year. It's good to, to see you all this, this new year. It's going to be a, a great year. I'm very excited about it. I, I want to just personally say thanks to all those who were able to express condolences to me and my family about the uh, loss of my father. Passed away on December 28th. We had a memorial service this last Friday that really was anointed, and, and God used it in some powerful ways. Um, and it was just, just a very good thing. One little piece here is that my dad always was very interested in our ministry to the homeless, and uh, so we thought appropriate to put in the paper and other areas that, uh, in lieu of flowers, please uh, send your contributions to the homeless shelter. I don't know what, what sum we raised, but, but uh, I think Dad would be very happy with the fact that uh, even through his death, he raised up a lot of money for the homeless shelter. So praise God for that. It was, it was a good thing. <laughs> Amen. That's, my dad always hated flowers. <laughs> I was like, never could see the point of that. So uh, this, this was a good thing. Uh, I, I, we, of course, had that weirdness of, you know, kind of sorrow with, with you know, missing him. But on the other hand, just really overjoyed uh, knowing where he is. Uh, he really embraced Christ. And uh, he's starting the year off dancing and singing and celebrating. And, and uh, in that place where, where the dreams of our heart come true, because that's what the dreams are, are made for, to drive us to that place. One weird thing is that you know, my dad was cremated. Uh, dust, you know, you are, and to dust you shall return. And we've got him at home now. Um, and uh, actually, was supposed to go with, with his wife, uh, but she forgot him up here. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, you forgot Dad. And so uh, we have him at home. And uh, uh, don't, I don't think he's hurt or anything by it. But you, I don't know if you've ever seen a cremated body. I never had till this. It's like, okay, I have to look. <laughs> it's what it's like. And it's just five pounds of dust. You, 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 you take the soul out of us, take the water out of us, and, and burn us up, and we are just dust. I'm five pounds of dust up here. You're five pounds of dust. And, and what it, what, what, it's kind of sobering because you know what? When all is said and done, it's all dust. Everything you can see, everything you can taste, everything you can touch, everything you can smell, every, everything around you is simply dust, and you're just a walking pile of dust. Uh, but see, you're not just a walking pile of dust. You've got something eternal in you. Uh, it's your soul, your spirit, that, that life force. And the only thing that you take with you, the only thing that's not dust, is ultimately uh, the love that you've reflected uh, to, to the world around you that you've gotten from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just very sobering to have that. Just realize whatever you can see. You know, it can look so attractive. It can be so addicting. We get so absorbed in it. Spend all of our time, spend all of our money on it. And it's just dust. Your car is dust. The house is dust. The boat is dust. It's all dust. And what you want to be living for is that which is not dust. The dustless kingdom, if you will. Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth turn to dust. But lay up treasures in heaven where the moth and the rust and the thieves can't get in and steal it. That's not what I'm going to preach about, but that's you know, just an important point to note. Uh, it's customary here that at the first uh, week or so, last year I went a whole month, but uh, to do a kind of State of the Union address, State of the Congregation address, um, kind of modeled after the President's State of the Union address that he always does. And so I, I, I usually do that. Now, it's, it's, it's kind of new to some people uh, to uh, 
think that the church is actually supposed to be doing stuff. The reason we have a state of the congregation address is to say, how are we doing? Are we fulfilling our vision and where are we going? And to a lot of people, church is just where you come and, and you get your little individual needs met, you know, and you feel good and maybe you have a little song and whatever. But see, we're, we have a job description. Christianity is salvation, but it's also vocation. Amen? It's a vocation, and we have a job to do. It's serious business. This isn't about entertainment. It's not about, you know, just uh, kind of a nice social gathering with a little tidbit on how to live better. Uh, we, we, we have to answer. We have to answer. Uh, to the Lord in terms of what he's given us to do, what we did with the talent that he gave us. And I've got a really answer because I lead this thing, so I'm very intent on us shaping up and doing all that we can do for the kingdom of God. What kind of non-dust stuff are we producing? And so we take a look at ourselves. Now, this year, uh, for a number of reasons, I'm going to very much focus on the future, what's going to be done this year. And I'm going to do it in kind of a fast way because I've got a lot that I want to cover and just lay out what, what, what our vision is and break it down concretely in terms of uh, what we're going to be focusing on this year. And the purpose is to give us a reminder of what we're supposed to be doing and to call us to task to fulfill that vision. Uh, I want to read from Matthew chapter 19, and I want you just to be thinking about this verse as we're going through this. Jesus looked at them and said, With uh, humans, this is impossible. A lot of things are impossible for you humans. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Everyone say it. With God, all things are possible. And the question is, is do we believe that? Do we really believe that? Which leads to this question, how big is the God that you believe in? How big is the vision that you're following? And how big is your heart to walk in obedience to that vision? How big is your God? How big is your vision? And how big, how big is your heart to walk in obedience to that, that vision. Uh, if we're walking in the will of God, it ought to feel impossible. At least some things ought to feel impossible. Now, our flesh, our normal fallen human self-preservationist, always self-securing, seeking nature, wants to live in the realm of the possible. We like, we like to do things we know we can do. And we like it safe, we like it comfortable, but God calls us to walk beyond that, outside of our comfort zone. One way that you know that you're really walking in the Spirit is that uh, you're, you're, you're engaged in stuff that you can't possibly pull off if God doesn't show up. You're walking on water. We're supposed to be striving for the impossible. The only thing that limits God in terms of, and what God can do in this world is the lack of vision of His people and the constraints that we put upon Him. So the question I want to be really raising up before us is kind of this. How far are you willing to go with this? How, how big is your God? How big is the, your vision? Does your vision correspond to the capacity, the capabilities of the true God? And as I'm, as I'm reviewing kind of what our, our goals are going to be for this year, you're going to be saying, oh, that's impossible. And the minute you think that thought, I want you to remember, with God, all things are possible. And one evidence that we're doing God's stuff is that we're inclined to think that it's impossible. All right. Here's the vision that God's given us. Uh, we've walked in this for a number of years. This is our, our marching orders as we understand them. Our vision is to be a community of spiritually empowered people who advance God's kingdom by loving God and embodying God's love for others in St. Paul, the surrounding areas, and to the world as the Lord leads, working hand-in-hand hand with other expressions of the body of Christ. Don't want to be lone rangers here. Until all reach fullness in Christ. 
I'm going to zero in on five phrases in that vision and kind of lay out what our, our, our goal is for this year. Phrase number one is we, our vision is to be a community. Our vision is not to be a collection of individuals, to have a big event, uh, to have a feel-good service once a week or, or anything of this sort. The, the vision is to be a community. You'll, you'll see the word com, unity there. A unity together, that's what it means, to be a unity together. God is a social God. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Everything he does, everything he creates is out of relationship, and it works best when it's done in relationship. It's, just a, it's the principle of unity that runs throughout all of creation. Things operate well when they're done out of relationship. Things don't operate well when they're not done out of relationship. Jesus said that a kingdom that's divided against itself can't stand, but a kingdom that's united, it's, it's very hard to resist. We see it in every area of life. When you have a unity of vision, a unity of focus, a unity of purpose, a solidarity, when people are thinking in terms of we instead of terms, the terms of I, you can do exponentially more than you could ever dream about doing as a bunch of individuals. It's that, it's that principle of unity. And one of the things we want to be stressing this year is uh, that, that, that the call to be united in vision. Now, we've made a lot of progress in these areas. So we've got now 120, more than that, of small groups that are formed and community is being developed. But it's still an area that we feel very intent on emphasizing this year. Uh, and one of the reasons is because we believe, it's a core conviction of ours, that uh, one of the major obstacles to the power of God being released in its full force in America, one of the main, major reasons why the church in America tends to be uh, relatively impotent in terms of the power it should be displaying and the impact it should be making on society, one of the reasons is because of this diabolical thing called American individualism where everyone tends to see the world and assess the world in terms of their individual needs and individual preferences. And we have created a, a consumer-conscious society where everyone expects to be treated as a consumer and they want to have it their way, when they want it, how they want it, at the time that they want it. And that's very appropriate when you're talking about Target or Walmart or Burger King or McDonald's, but the trouble is, is that people begin to think of church that way. And so you go to the church where you, you want to be able to order uh, specifically according to your taste the kind of sermon you want and the, and the kind of music you want and the kind of programs you want. And you want to be able to say, hold the lettuce and extra pickles and all the other spe- specifics. And if one church doesn't give it your way, then you go to a different church that maybe does give it your way. Until you don't get it your way, then you go to the next church to get it your way. And you'd go there until they you know, don't give it your way. Then you go to the next place. And there are people that are addicted to this. They, they choose what church they're going to go to if they go to any church. Uh, every Sunday, well, do I feel like a Baptist flavor today? Or maybe I'm feeling a little more in a mood for Pentecostal stuff. And there's a time and a place to church shop. I'm not against that. A time to visit and find out where God wants you to be. But what you got to know is God wants you to be someplace. Uh, the, 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 the individualistic roving uh, spirituality, as common as it is in Christendom, is utterly, utterly foreign to the New Testament. You need to belong to a vision. You need to be part of a vision, part of something bigger than yourself. You need to be part of a we consciousness where you're in the body of Christ. And if, if the vision of Woodland Hills isn't what you're called to, we're fine with that. But, but, but for goodness sake, find a vision that you are called to. Find a place where you can plug in, where you can have buy-in, where you're willing to sacrifice your stuff to see it happen. The church runs like that. You're wired for that. And see, the thing is this. The only non-dust stuff about us is the stuff we do that advances the kingdom of God, the love of Jesus Christ flowing into us and flowing through us. 
And the whole rationale for having a corporate body, with all the interesting problems that that always presents when you get fallen people together, there's always weirdness there. But the justification for it and the Lord's rationale for it is that you can do so much more together than you can ever do individually. I can't build a youth center. You can't build a youth center. But we can build a youth center. I I can't reach all the lost. You can't reach all the lost. But we can reach the lost. Uh, You can't do a whole lot individually to to feed all the hungry. But we can make an incredible impact feeding the hungry or housing the homeless. Uh, You know, you can't counsel 25 people a week. But we can do that by having a counseling clinic. You can't do a whole lot to hold families together, but we can do a tremendous amount to hold families together by having a family ministry, and so on and so on and so on. What we do together is exponentially more than what we can ever do individually. It's not just one plus one plus one plus one, but it's one plus two times three times four times five, and that's the impact we have. We said last week that the goal of life is to create these ripples of love that last forever. Love is the one thing that lasts forever. But see, when we, when we are united, when we all do our part together, we don't just create ripples, we create tidal waves. And those tidal waves go on forever, and it comes back on all of us individually. See, the irony is the best thing you can do for yourself individually in terms of working for the Lord and getting a reward with the Lord and whatnot is to do it as a group. I need you for me to be all I can be in the kingdom of God, and you need me and each other to be all that you can individually be for the kingdom of God. We need to be a community, a body of Christ, members of one another, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. And so one of the things we're going to be really hammering on uh, in a multitude of different ways is the call to be community, to get plugged in, to be asking the question, not what's in it for me, but what's in it for us? What can we do together? And what is my specific role in the we-ness together? We're called to be a community. We're making progress on that, but we've got a long way to go. Number two, we're called to be a community of spiritually empowered people who advance God's kingdom by loving God and by embodying, embodying God's love for others. Note that, of spiritually empowered people. Last year was a real good foundational year. It was a frustrating year for me because I'm, I'm impatient and I, I, I know where we're supposed to be going and I wanted to get there real quick. Uh, but the Lord really kind of pulled the reins in last year and said we need some foundational stuff here. And a major part of that foundational stuff was the whole love series that we did most of last year. Uh, it, it just laying the foundation. What, what's it all about? And what's it's all, the center of the center is, is love. Everything we do has got to be done out of a fullness of love that we get from God, refracting, reflecting that love towards others. In all, everything about Christendom, everything that's non-dust is in one way or another about love. That it was a foundation that needed to be laid. It's always got to be our motivation. Now it's time to build on that foundation. And we're not leaving the message of love. We're just starting to ask questions, what does love look like? And what love looks like, what love of God looks like, what love from God looks like, and what love of others looks like concretely is in one way or another about discipleship. We're going to be talking a lot about discipleship this year. It'll be a newsflash to some because it's, it's, it's a newsflash in a lot of uh, American Christianity. But we aren't called to be believers. Being a believer is not the goal. A believer in Jesus Christ. That's good. I'm glad you're a believer. The devil also believes in Jesus Christ. You know, he, he's, he, he knows that. The, the, the devil believes in the Bible. The, the, devil, the devil believes all that. He knows it's true. He doesn't just believe it. He knows it. Believing isn't the goal. The believing is a stepping stone. We are not called to be believers and to make believers of other people. We're called to be disciples and to make disciples of all people. 
Go into all the world and make disciples of all people. Now, a disciple is one who's being discipled, one who is uh, disciplined, being disciplined by another. To be someone's disciple means you sit under them, you learn from them. Dallas Willard translates the word disciple in all the passages in, in the New Testament to mean mentor. Uh, you're mentored by somebody. You're, 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 you're following their example. You look to them as, as uh, the, the key to how you're supposed to live. And the goal of the Christian life is you need to be a believer to become a disciple. But being a believer doesn't make you a disciple. Being a disciple is about uh, doing a, a things that you wouldn't do if you weren't following Jesus and not doing a lot of things you otherwise maybe would do if you weren't following Jesus. It's, it's to have as the goal of your life, the central motif of your life, to look like Jesus. And I don't mean growing a beard and whatnot. I mean having your character, having your worldview, having your values and purposes mirror the values and the purposes and worldview of, of Jesus Christ. That's the, gotta be the, that's the goal of, of, uh, of the Christian life. God wants a body of people who, in their own way, look like him, who mirror him both back to God and, and towards one another and, and to the world. One of the major problems we have in America, and, and Lord, help me to say this as loving as possible, uh, as gracious as possible, but as strong as possible. There is in America this thing, you might call it a, a two-plan Christianity. There's a plan A and a plan B. And plan A is sort of the preferred version, I suppose. Uh, it's the Cadillac version, the deluxe version. It's the discipleship version. It's for those people who really get into religion, all right? And they, uh, they, you know, they, 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 they make Christ center of everything, and they're always, like, trying to grow, and, and they're spiritually, you know, intentional, and, and they sacrifice a lot, and they're sold out, and, and all that kind of stuff. Plan A, the preferred version, yes, it's there. But it's, thankfully, there's a plan B, which is the American version. And the American version is the consumer version where you get as much as possible for the littlest, co- little, littlest possible price. And so this is the believer version where you, you believe, you, you give intellectual assent to all the right propositions in order to uh, you know, escape hell perhaps and escape punishment, but, but uh, you want to have as little buy-in as possible. What's the minimum? We're always looking for the bottom line. What's the minimum? What's the least I can pay? What's the least I can do? I, wanna, you know, I want the squeak-by version. And that's all over the place in this culture. It's one of the reasons why the church lacks the dynamic power that it's supposed to have. And I'm here to tell you this morning that in Jesus' name, there ain't no plan B version in the Bible. (laughs) There's not a plan B version. That's an American mythological perverted distortion of the gospel. It's just not there. Amen. Um, uh, To confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Think about that. To confess him as Lord means you are a disciple. The word lordship means nothing apart from discipleship. That doesn't mean that you're a perfect disciple and that all of a sudden you're wonderful and glowing and holy and all that stuff. It's a process. But see, it, it, that's the direction you go in because he's lord of your life. And, and all of life is the process of learning all that that means uh, to be submitted to him. Now, our flesh doesn't like that because the flesh lives in this me, self-centered, narcissistic worldview. And, and we're, we're trying to live for self. But there's a part of you as a regenerate person that longs for that because you know that to follow Jesus and to be a disciple of Jesus, a mentor of Jesus, is not a matter of bondage. It is the path to freedom, amen? God loves us too much to leave us in the mud. He loves us too much to just free us from the consequences of our behavior and not free us from the core things that lead to that behavior. Grace isn't some little cheap legal thing that God does to get us off the hook. Grace is the power of God, the Spirit of God, the presence of God himself coming into our life. That is grace. 
And so grace is transforming. It's revolutionary. It turns your world upside down. God loves us too much to leave us in the sorry state that he finds us. Out of his love, he patiently works in us and through us to make us disciples, to transform us into people who look like Jesus Christ, who not only are freed from the consequences of their sin, but are in the process of being freed from their sin. Amen? We're new creatures in Christ Jesus, and discipleship's the process of increasingly manifested that new creation. And so this year, we want to be building on that foundation of love and asking this question, what does that radical love look like at home? What does it look like at the office? What does it look like in church? What does it look like in your devotional life? What does it look like in your, in your finances? What does it look like in your time? What does it look like with your children? What does it look like when you're dealing with your enemies? And so on and so on and so on. We want to put teeth to that message, legs, flesh out. That, that message of love that we've been talking about. So uh, a major theme that will be running throughout this year in the sermons will be uh, about discipleship. We covenant to be a community of people, of spiritually empowered people who advance God's kingdom by loving God and embodying God's love for others. And then point number three, in St. Paul. St. Paul. The, the first goal of our church is to minister to St. Paul. And then the surrounding areas and to the world as the Lord leads. Now, we have a lot of things going on with St. Paul. We continue to network with churches and minister in the neighborhood, and all those things are in place. But the point I want to bring out and emphasize, the, the, the distinct thing that we'll be starting to do this year, and it'll probably take about three years to do it, is we want to start uh, as a ministry to St. Paul and the surrounding area, um, uh, move towards building a youth center. And I've talked about this several times. We were actually going to start raising money for this in the fall. Uh, we just felt led to hold off on that. Uh, but we want to start it this spring. feel like that's, that's the right timing. And I want us to be thinking about this. We want to raise up money to build a youth center. Now, the rationale for the youth center is basically this. And this is, this is our ministry to St. Paul. Uh, we understand that, that um, uh, the majority of people, vast majority of people who come to the Lord come before the age of 18. The older you get, the harder it is to get through your head. The young kids are, are still open-minded. They're, they're impressionable. And uh, about 80, 85% of all people who come to the Lord come before the age of 18. That means that youth are our main missionary field. It's also the case that the majority of those who come to the Lord come because of some relationship they have with a, with a believer, which means that our young people are our main missionaries. Our youth are our missionaries, the youth in the world are our main mission field. And if our central call is to make disciples of all people, what does that mean? Where should our, this is a tough one now, where should a lot, of, at least a good portion of our resources and a good portion of our time and a good portion of our energy go? It's got to go towards our youth. And so we are, to that end, uh, going to be raising up money to build a youth center. The youth center will have three objectives. Objective number one will be evangelism. We want to reach the kids in this area and throughout the Twin Cities. Uh, bring them, uh, love them into the kingdom. The youth center will be evangelistic in this way. God basically told us, if you want to uh, catch fish, build a pond uh, that the fish like to go to. And fish of this age group swim in schools. They're sort of a, a kind of a herd pack. pack. They, 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 they go where, where the crowd is. Uh, as we were, you know, kind of thinking about this, we uh, last year visited a number of bars. A few of you maybe saw me there, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. We were, um, we, we just checked out these bars. They have dry night once every couple months where they invite kids to come in, 
And uh, the places are packed out. Their kids are waiting outside in below zero weather, paying a $10 cover charge, sometimes a $15 cover charge to get into this, you know, club where they can have dancing and hang out together and whatever. And the places, they're, they're just packed. They're like sardines in this place. And, you know, they just kind of like, there's no room to dance. So they just jump up and down together. Uh, but they, they love that kind of thing. And we talked to the manager of some of these clubs and said, why do you do this? I mean, do you make money? And they go, heck no, we don't sell any drinks here. Uh, so we don't make any kind of money. And we said, well, then why do you do it? You know, just as a public service, the guy laughs. No, we're making customers for life. They come here now, they'll come here later. We're making customers for life. We're not stupid about this. And see, and it's time for the church to stop being stupid about this. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. He says, the children of the world have gotten more savvy than you guys have. Uh, you know, you need to wise up a little bit. Let's think here. We're called to make customers for life, if you want to put it that way. And so we, what we want to do is to have a place that's open not just, you know, once a month or four times a year, but every Friday night. It's the place to hang out. We want to advertise it on, on, on uh, secular stations, the connection. And what's, what's showing here? What's going on here? In fact, I got a person uh, after last night's service who is uh, uh, part of the uh, radio station, 93X, that kind of hard rock station. And he says, you know what? I think we can get you some free airtime when you want to go advertising that. And that's, that, that's what I'm talking about. The connection. And so you want kids to be coming here. It's going to be, frankly, a nightclub on Friday nights anyways. And you got the music, you got the sound, you got the videos, you got the dance. We got a skate park. We're going to have a, a, a basketball, you know, pickup basketball game kind of a place. And with pool tables and video games and dart boards and, 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 and computers around. And, and it's just the place to hang out where kids come. And then our kids, you see, have been, have been trained to build relationships. with the, the main problem with this evangelism is that the Christian kids are over here and the, uh, the, the, the non-Christian kids are over here and they don't get together much. Well, let's create a pond. Let's, let's start, you know, cross-fertilize and bring them in here and, uh, and, and start exercising an influence there. And then, then you, you throw in some Christian songs along with the secular stuff because there's, there's a lot of cool Christian music out there. And, and there's this weird idea that Christians can't be cool, but we need to show them that we are cool, you know. And you got this throbbing, you know, good Christian music that I can't stand, but kids that age just love it. And uh, so that's going on. You got some, some Christian videos going on. And then occasionally you, you show a video like they do in all these bars. They have advertisements, you know, having a special on these drinks or whatever. Uh, well, here we're just going to have specials where we invite kids to go on retreats. Hey, we're, we don't call them retreats. We call them getaways or something. And, and uh, they go skiing. And what we do there is they just, you know, after a fun day, someone presents the gospel. What's life all about? And you present it on their level. And uh, we want to have, uh, like, signs all around the place where we've got college kids. We'll use the Life Challenge Ministry in this that are trained on how to very non-judgmentally and lovingly just talk to kids and, and listen to them. And you have a signs around because kids, the, this age group, are full of issues. They're packed with issues. They live in a ton of issues. And so you got signs around. Are, are, you, are you pregnant and, and need someone to talk to? Are you pregnant and scared, don't know what to do? You've got a sexually transmitted disease. Are you having trouble at home? You've got a drug issue that, that uh, you're wrestling with or you just want to talk. And throughout the place, we've just got these rooms where people are available to talk to these kids. It's all about just being there. It's all about just loving them where they're at, accepting them where they're at showing them a kind of love that they're hungry for that maybe they're not getting any other place and to walk with them. And, and our conviction is that God will use this in a powerful way to, to uh, just bring kids into the kingdom, to bring them, envelop them in the love of Jesus Christ where they otherwise, they, these are kids who would never step in a church. 
And, and to a large degree, none of us would blame them because they've got a lot of buzzers about church. But they'll go to a nightclub. And here we, we are able to just kind of embrace them and, and have a subtle uh, but strong Christian influence that is there. And I, I, my goal is that our youth group would eventually be bigger than the church. And it's not just about our youth group. I'm praying that this is a funneling thing for, for other churches. When a kid gets, comes to the Lord and they're over in Brooklyn Center, we'll send them to the church in Brooklyn Center. And up in Woodbury, send them to the church in Woodbury. We've got a network of things going so the main goal, or a main goal, is going to be evangelism. But we also then wanted to have it a service to uh, the, the community. And that this will just be about uh, ha- having tutoring rooms for kids to stop by after school, having some uh, things that they can get involved in. The main thing is to get kids off the street, because when they're on the street, they get in trouble. Give them a place to hang out after school where they can shoot some hoops or, or, or do whatever. Uh, work on some, some educational programs. We'll be talking to this. We are already talking to the state about getting some partial funding for, for that area of the youth center and make it available to the community. We also want to then make it available to the church, the church at large. Uh, it'll be a place for our youth group to, to grow and to, to you know, have their services and stuff. But we also want to hold concerts for, the, for youth groups around the Twin Cities. We want to open up to singles. Uh, ministries every once in a while in our church and outside the church. It'll be a facility that other churches from other places can use uh, to do their retreats or, or whatnot. We want it to be available to the church at large. Our youth center is your youth center, you know, and, and let's make it available to them. So a major ministry in St. Paul is going to be uh, striving to, to build this uh, youth center uh, starting this year. Um, we also then want to minister, our vision says, to St. Paul in the surrounding area. And um, uh, part of what we're going to be doing this year is not just going towards that youth center, but uh, ministering to the surrounding area. And here, I want you to be asking the questions I asked you about earlier. How big is your vision? How big is your heart? How big is your God? Because this is going to start getting out there, all right? And if you're ever inclined to think this is impossible, hear the word of the Lord saying, with God, nothing is impossible. Here's the deal with the surrounding area. Uh, the vision that the Lord has really given us to move towards I'm going to, uh, uh, first, I, to, I need to give a little background on this, some statistics to kind of set this whole thing up. Number one, there is globally an urbanization uh, population shift. More and more people are moving towards the city. More and more people are moving towards the city. Uh, they say by the year 2020 or 2025, approximately 75% of the world's population will be living in major cities. And for any people who are concerned about reaching people, and we are, that means we need to start really being thinking about the city. Churches need to, in general, be thinking about how do you minister to the city. Number two, the majority of those moving to the city are non-white. Now, of course, white folks are moving to the city as well, but percentage-wise, it's very small. Our cities are becoming, including the the Twin Cities, increasingly mixed uh, uh, in in terms of ethnicity. Uh, It's a diverse environment. Combine that with number three, there is, in fact, not only are a few white folks moving in, but many are moving out. There's what's called the white fright, white flight syndrome. And there's a whole story we could tell about that, why that is the case. I don't have time to go into this, uh, but just take that as a given that uh, on the whole, white folks are tending to move out of the city. Now, for a variety of reasons I can't go into right now, whites tend to be on the higher end of the economic scale. Non-whites tend to be more on the lower end of the economic scale. whole story we could say about that, don't have time. But what, what this means is that uh, the, the, the city is being gutted economically. Uh, even while the population is growing, the resources are diminishing. Combine that with a fourth fact. 
the majority or the, the, uh, uh, there is, according to um, uh, the religion information resources, a, uh, a, a growing trend for white churches to move out of the city. In Minneapolis, for example, in the last 30 years, 67 churches have moved out of the city. And almost all of them predominantly white. And it's because the, you know, the, the land is a lot cheaper out there. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot more affluence out there, so you have more money to buy more land at a cheaper price. And if you want to grow a big church, that, that's kind of what, you know, and I'm not condemning that. I'm just stating it as a fact. They tend to move out of the city. But again, when they move out of the city, they take the resources with them. So while the population, the shift in the population is intensifying, growing in the city, it's very diverse, the, the resources available to minister to the city are, are, are diminishing. And the number of churches that are there are diminishing. Um, it's, it's going in the wrong direction. The resources tend to be, not exclusively, but tend to be locked in the suburbs. What makes it especially problematic is that since the suburbs are predominantly white, not all white, but predominantly, um, they don't get the, the unique needs and, and the, the unique issues and the economic and racial issues that, are, that, that are, you need to know about to minister to the city. So the result of this whole thing, and one more thing is that all, the vast, vast majority of new church plants are in the suburbs, not the city. Uh, something like 93% of all church plants are in the suburbs. And I'm, that's an okay thing. Uh, we need churches in the suburbs. Those people, you know, people need to hear about God, and they're growing too, and, and, and that's an okay thing. But it reinforces the point that the, the amount of ministry and resources available to minister to this growing city kind of population is, uh, is diminishing. And it's a sorry state of affairs. The result is that there is increasingly an intensifying racial and social and economic divide between the city and the suburbs. The, 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 the gulf is broadening. Now, why I say all that is to say this. We have felt for the last nine years very intentionally that we are called to tear that wall down. That, that, that a central part of what God has called us to do is to come against that, uh, that, that tendency about, you know, we, we were planted as a Woodbury church plant. And, and God bless Woodbury. I, I, wonderful. Love Woodbury. Adore it. And, and well, we were called to be a Woodbury church plant, but about six months to nine months into the ministry, either God changed his mind or we just got on board what his plan was all along. And my theology can go either way on that. Uh, but uh, uh, we really felt that the Lord was leading us to go more towards the city, that the word was to face the city. We didn't know if that meant that we're supposed to be involved in it or what, but to move towards the city, to swim upstream, to buck the current, uh, to, to, to not go into the kind of general direction of the trend of the church uh, as it has been the last uh, couple decades. So we felt called to face the city. In fact, we, we, uh, for the last six years, have kind of been working uh, under the catalyst of a vision that we were given some time ago about being a bridge. Uh, we actually had a concrete picture of this, about us being a bridge, uniting the suburbs and the city, and, and being a, 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 having a, a, a crucial role to play in that whole thing. It had to do with training people to minister in the city and resourcing ministries in the city. Now, for a long time, Ephraim, are you here? I heard Ephraim was here. Ephraim, are you here? Ephraim Smith? Is he here? Come up here. Okay, come on up here. All right, all right. Are you, come on up, Ephraim, come up here. Okay, now I'm not going to let him preach, otherwise, yes. Oh, you want to have the demonstration. 
Um, okay, here, here, here's the, and we're hoping to do some tag team preaching a little bit later on uh, this year. Uh, you know, kind of a, take it away, man. But um, a, 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 uh, what we began to see was this, and I'll, I'll cue you when you're on. Uh, he has no idea about this. This is absolutely, we began to really see that, that uh, this was not just about us. For a long time, we thought, okay, we're supposed to be the bridge, and we are supposed to be a bridge. Uh, but, but we thought that that meant that we're supposed to just try to be as, ethnic, as ethnically diverse as possible uh, to really exemplify racial reconciliation. It was all about us. What we've really come to see is, well, that is true. We, we, we need to be striving towards that. This thing that God gave us is way bigger than that. And that's how God usually operates. He has a vision for you, and he gives you enough so that you'll have the confidence to go in it. And then once you get there, all of a sudden, it turns out there's a whole lot more to the vision. Have you had that happen? And before you realize it, it's like, how on earth do we ever get ourselves into this? You're walking on water. He tricked you into it. Well, that's what he does. We really come to see that this bridge concept is way bigger than ourselves. Uh, And that part of what it means, and actually, Ephraim, about two years ago, we really had a picture of him being on this bridge and being a trainer in this and having a crucial partnering role with this. We didn't know all that means. We never know what it means. But I initially thought that was about him coming over here. And I even said that out loud a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, Ephraim's not listening to God. He's supposed to be over here. And, uh, you know, it's just I'm just saying stuff out loud. That's how I felt. Well, Ephraim never had that confirmation. And, uh, you know, either God changed his mind or uh, he, Ephraim was right all along. In this case, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt there. I, God was calling him in a different direction. And we're really now seeing how this whole thing fits into this broader vision of a, of a network of bridging churches in the suburb that resource uh, what's going on in the city of Minneapolis. So I'd like you just to, as succinctly as you can, because I know you're a preacher, but can you just share a little bit uh, of kind of what God's calling you to do in, 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 nine, in nine months, and then I'll kind of tell what our relationship will be. So just go for it. Okay. Um, uh I've uh, struggled just with um, wanting to know why in the city of Minneapolis there's not an um, African-American-led yet multi-ethnic church that's resourced and uh, multi-staffed that's able to bring holistic transformation and really be a sneak preview of heaven uh, in the city of Minneapolis. And so um, I would always say, you know, hey, if there's ever an African-American pastor that rises up and has a vision to to lead a church that's multi-ethnic and holistic and transforms the city of Minneapolis, I'm just going to leave my job at Park Avenue and go work for that person. Uh-huh. And then I felt God said, well, that's you. Uh-huh. All right. So uh, I uh, resigned my position at Park Avenue United Methodist Church uh, in the fall and I'm embarking on starting a uh, church in the city of Minneapolis with a core launch team called The Sanctuary that will open in the fall of 2003. All right. All right, brother. And and, um, what what we're going to be doing here is for the next... uh, Ephraim's going to be planning this with the Covenant Church, so we're working with the Covenant Church on this. Uh, The goal is to start in nine or ten months or something like that. There's a lot that needs to be fleshed out. But um, part of what's going to be going on is Ephraim's going to be hanging around here so that we can impart uh, our wisdom and church planting on him. Uh, we have 10 years of mistakes that we want him to avoid. And um, uh, doing that, we also then are going to be in every way possible, and again, we're going to flesh out the details later on, but resourcing him. When the time, you know, we want to help, help him put together worship teams and any other way that he says, hey, can you help me with this? We want to be there with him. When the time comes, we're going to be saying, 
If there are people in the congregation that are called to be part of his team, uh, you know, go and, and, and do that in Minneapolis. And we want to bless you and, and get this thing going. And we want to be partnering with Ephraim. And this is the part that I'm really excited about. To be kind of, the, the expression we used before was brokering relationships. You want to talk about that? Like just getting other suburban churches on board with this? That I, I really feel like um, one of the ways you could really see an empowered move of God in the, in the Twin Cities is instead of just this relationship of suburban ministries funding urban ministries, that once you have an empowered urban ministry, and this could be a model of that, an empowered church in the city partnering with an empowered Woodland Hills church, and then we can then have a model of reconciliation that we can go to other urban and suburban churches and consult them and pray with them and intercess with them and help other urban and suburban ministries develop partnerships of equality within the Twin Cities, and then we can claim the Twin Cities as kingdom. For yes! Jesus. All right, man. I love you. That's great. That's great. Okay. See, th- see th- this thing is, is just... Uh, this thing is really huge. Uh, it, this is how racial reconciliation is supposed to be done. We, we, we want to take this vision and then broker relationships to, to bring other suburban churches on board. Suburban churches need to know about the city, need to learn how to minister to the city. That's the whole training piece, part of what Ephraim wants to do. And could someone tell the children's ministry we're just going to go over a little bit and it's all Ephraim's fault, okay? Um, <laughs> but the, the, part, of, part of what this will be, what Ephraim wants to do is have a training center. That's that whole bridge piece uh, where, where people can get trained on racial issues, on economic issues, on urban issues, and, and, and then provide uh, and, and be a resource to the, those various ministries. The goal would be to make it, uh, to have these partnering relationships with suburban churches where, where we're learning from them and we're helping resourcing what they're doing to make that relatively independent, then plant another one in St. Paul. And as that works, then begin to talk, take the model, uh, who, who knows, uh, all throughout the nation. I don't know how, how it's going to go. But this is how racial reconciliation is to be done. We have, we have trusted, leaned on, and really um, uh, avoided our own responsibility in this. Uh, we, 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 I thank God for all good civil rights laws. Wonderful. And I thank God for good you know, programs that, that, that combat urban economic injustice and things of that sort. But, but, but church, we are not called to be reliant on Uncle Sam. Amen? The church is the one who's called to be the trailblazer on this. We're called to be on the edge. We're called to be the radicals of the culture. You know, we're, we're called to be glorifying God. When Uncle Sam does something right, thing, you know, wonderful, but then Uncle Sam gets the credit, okay? And that, that's, that's a fine thing. But I want Jesus to get the credit. We want to glorify God and show the world that the church can do what the world can't. Laws can't change hearts. Laws can't change minds. Laws can, can bring protection, but they can't revolutionize a person's way of looking at things. It's only the life and the, and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ coming into a life that can tear down the walls that we're talking about and, and begin to build bridges uh, along economic and racial, denominational and, and ethnic lines. And that's what we're called to do. So we want to be networking in this way. And maybe you're sitting here saying, man, it's, it's nuts. You're nuts. You're going for a youth center. You're going to be trying to raise money for a youth center. That's going to, in the end, cost you about $8 million. You're going towards that, and now you're talking about resourcing this, this church in, in, in Minneapolis and giving people away to this church in Minneapolis and giving leaders away to this church in Minneapolis. You know, shouldn't you be thinking about keeping it all for yourself and keeping the money there? And, and, and you know, are you really planning on giving away right when you need it most? And the answer is that's exactly what we're going to do. That's exactly what we're going to do. That... See, that kind of counter, 
counter-naturalistic thinking just drips with kingdom principles. That's how the the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't operate according to the natural human understanding. Uh, You know, it really is the case that you reap what you sow. Uh, when, When you just obey God, so we got to understand something here. With God, the issue is never money. The issue is never money. The issue is people, people's hearts. Are you obedient? God's got plenty of money around. It's not about that. He can raise up all sorts of sources. The question is, will people walk in obedience with this? Will we think in terms of kingdom principles instead of natural principles? And the kingdom of God, everything is advanced through self-sacrifice. Everything is advanced by giving things away. The best thing you can do for your life individually and the best thing we can do for our church individually is to not be focused on our church individually but have a broader vision for the kingdom. Because when it's all said and done, it's not about building Woodland Hills Church. It's about building the kingdom of God, praise God. Having a broader vision for the kingdom. And see, God will honor that. God will honor that. As you're giving it away, give it away, man. Just, uh, you know, that now, now you're walking in the realm of the impossible. See, now you're stepping on vision. Now you're walking on water. Uh, you know, you, you're not just doing the naturalistic thing. And I'm not saying be nuts for, for the purpose of being nuts, but be fools for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, be fools. And, and, and swim upstream on this thing. And so we want to be ministering in St. Paul and the surrounding area. And I'll just close by saying one more thing. We're going to build a hospital in Cambodia at the same time. All right? Did I just I'd say that? No, we are. I, I. See, get the limitations off. Get the limitations off. How much faith do you have? How big is your God? How big is your vision? How obedient are you willing to be? If, if, if everybody just thinks in terms of we, what's my role in this whole thing? God, God will, will make it happen. But he needs us to be on board for this to happen. Wynne Tramberg was a member of our congregation who was a doctor. She came from Vietnam, uh, started in med school, got a great job as a doctor. And then the Lord said, leave it all and go over to Cambodia and minister to the Vietnamese who are racially oppressed over there because of a long history of all sorts of stuff. And so she goes on this medical boat up and down ministering to these impoverished villages, doing whatever she can, uh, you know, bringing the love of Jesus Christ to these people. And she's doing that little, tiny, petite, beautiful, meek, shy gal who just is, is just my hero in Jesus. And, uh, and in the, God's used that to start five churches. You know, she's a church planner over there. She's got five churches. But no resources or, or really difficult uh, situation with resources. A lot of the Vietnamese can't, won't even be allowed in the hospitals because of the racial stuff. So we feel called for, to build a hospital church uh, over there. And here's the thing is, you know, it's like real estate over there is a whole lot cheaper than it is over, 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 over here. For $160,000, you can build a 30-room medical clinic, and it can double as a church, and we can do all sorts of stuff. How big is your God? How big is your vision? I can't do that. You can't do that. But we can do that, and it comes back on us. Uh, it's an act of love that ripples throughout eternity that we take with us. And so this year, I want, I'm going to leave you with this question. Two questions. Number one, are you, are you a, a disciple or a believer? Three questions here. Number one, are you a believer or a disciple? No, actually, number one, are you even a believer? <laughs> okay. and, and if you're not a believer, I want to encourage you after the service to come up to this table, and we have got some information that we'd like to share with you uh, and uh, about how, how, you know, what does it mean uh, to give your life to Jesus Christ and to start that discipleship process. Number two, are you a believer or a disciple? And how is God calling you to be a disciple this year? Which leads to question number three. Close your eyes because I'm going to say this and then I'm going to pray. The question I would like us to live in, the discipleship question I'd like us to live in is simply this. What would God have you do to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven?
What would God have you do in every area of your life, however that applies? You, you're important to the kingdom. If this is the church you're called to, you're crucial to this vision. What would God have you do to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven through the ministry of Woodland Hills Church? What role do you play in this vision? And just be living in that question. Are you a disciple or a believer? What role do you as a disciple have? How would God use you? Just live in that and God will lead you. God will lead you. He will. He's real. He'll talk to you. Father in heaven, make that question come alive for us as we go throughout this year. Uh, Weave us together in solidarity, Lord God. Create a vision here that we can taste, that we move towards. Give us patience about it. God, root out all fear uh, in us, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that uh, you would uh, focus our hearts and focus our eyes on the reality that with us many things are impossible, but with you all things are possible. Father, just be tearing down the walls, uh, Lord. Uh, God, the walls of American individualism that keeps so many of us in bondage, and yet it tells us that we're actually thriving when, in fact, we're dying because of the lie. Father, free us to be obedient disciples of yours who just are radical to the core, sold out, have no limitations that we impose upon you because we live in the reality that with you all things are possible and you want to use us to do it. Let it be done, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. The altar is open. If you want to come forward for prayer, I encourage you to do that. Uh, the prayer team come forward at this time. If you want questions about becoming a, a, a believer and disciple, go to the table over here to my right. Otherwise, go forth in the power of God. Let the vision build. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.